Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Good day and welcome to this fifth episode in our six-part series on active shooter event and response evolution. This, uh, this whole series has been sponsored by FirstNet. In an emergency, you need a reliable way to communicate with the extended public safety community. That's why FirstNet is here for you. It's the first and only nationwide communications platform built with and for first responders. With a dedicated platform, prioritized connection, and no throttling, you can communicate when it's most critical. Visit FirstNet.com to learn more. When every second counts, first responders count on FirstNet. Today, I'm going to count on my co-host, Joe Vince, our news editor, to help me get through this fifth episode where we're going to talk about uh, off-duty officers and or legally armed citizens, people not in a uniform, but in or near an active shooter event when it kicks off. How you doing, Joe? Good. Uh, thanks for that introduction. Um, I'm getting ready to, to talk about uh, where we left off on, on the last episode on and this topic. It- if I remember the last episode, and I'm going to lean on your your memories and, and your uh, your your storytelling, so to speak, <laughs> we had talked about an, an off-duty police officer and a legally armed citizen, and the shootings were like in a mall or something. Can you refresh our memories? Uh, the one that really jumped, sticks out in my mind was um, an incident last year um, in Greenwood, Indiana, which is a suburb of Indianapolis. Um, where a shooter went into a mall and began firing a legally uh, a civilian who uh, was legally carrying was able to um, to fire back and take down uh, the assailant. Um, one of the kind of the footnotes to this was this individual, this civilian who saved lives um, very much became private, didn't want to discuss it afterward. Um, but this was a situation where, yeah, he he was confronted with uh, this man opening fire in a mall, a crowded mall. And he he probably went through the three steps, run, hide, fight. And in, in an open area mall like that, not a lot of places necessarily to hide. Um, and you're not going to outrace a bullet he was carrying and he was able to stop the individual. So do you remember offhand, and thanks for the rush, refresher, do you remember offhand, and if you don't, no big deal, how many people the actual assailant shot before uh, the gentleman was able to neutralize him? I do not. Okay. Um, he so, was. I do remember that I, I believe he was able to, to um, take him down fairly quickly, or at least the individual wasn't able to... Um, you know, uh, shoot many victims. And and that's, um, that's a real strength to having uh, legally armed citizens, whether they're off duty officers or just good guy citizens, having them legally armed in the area where these kind of events happen and they can happen anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they put a stop to it much faster than the responding police officers, because unfortunately we are all victims of the controls of physics. So I can't teleport from A to B. I have to drive there. I'm at the, you know, I'm at the mercy of traffic uh, and people who don't want to get out of the way or people who decide that they're supposed to stop in front of me uh, while I'm driving lights and siren priority and they're supposed to move out of the way. And um, the more officers show up, the harder it is to get to the scene and so on. 
Um, but the big challenge, the big concern, and the topic of today's podcast is um, when you're, an, there's two sides to this, when you're an off-duty police officer and you're at the mall with your family or you're at the movie theater with your family or at the restaurant, wherever, and somebody decides to, to start an active killer event, an active shooter event, what do you do as a plain clothes good guy you're not in uniform you're off duty you're armed it's legal um you have a responsibility to take action but you have to worry about everything that's going to happen when the uniformed officers get there because there's always the chance that they see you with a gun and they think you're a bad guy and then we have what we would call a blue on blue or, or friendly fire situation uh and and it has happened in the past quite unfortunately so that's the one side of it. The other side of it is for those uniformed officers that are going to show up. Um, how do you differentiate between the legally armed, non-uniform good guy and the usually illegally armed, um, you know, the bad guy that's committing the crimes? It's actually the aggressor. Uh, I know you come from a, a, a law enforcement family, Joe. My family has heard me lecture uh, we our game plan. I'll tell you real quick, and I'd love for you to share if, if your dad had one. My wife and my kids knew throughout my career if we were out someplace and something went sideways, their job was to get as far from me as they could get, going away from the threat because I was going towards the threat, uh, mm -hmm. and I didn't want bullets coming at them. So they were to get away from me. They were to call nine one one. They were to give a thorough description of me to the dispatcher so that hopefully, when the rest of the good guys got there, they would realize I was one and not shoot me. Um, did your dad have anything similar like that? Yeah, it, very, very similar. Um, the idea that, uh, you know, myself, my my sister, um, basically, get, and my little brother, I should say, to getting out of the area, um, finding a safe cover of, of some type. Um, if we were with him, then yeah, do the same thing. He, he probably would be engaging it after he made sure we were safe first um i know uh he uh, many times e even off duty he would um have to be carrying his weapon because he'd have to be he'd be on call and sometimes be leaving us in the middle of um family outings to have to to take care of work um so yeah he very similar uh game plan now granted i'll say this too this is back in the 1980s um to right. date me so it, it was is a very different situation as well it was i don't if my dad was going to talk about this now to you know young me um in the 21st century um i'd be curious i'm curious what i'd be curious what he might how that might have changed a, a little bit or if he would have been more um vocal about it as um as opposed to just kind of mentioning it or, or or discussing it because it just wasn't that common a thing back then sounds like a good conversation for you and he to have for mm -hmm. undercover dad it does shameless plug for our, another <laughs> podcast but so it, the thing is now here i am that police officer that's off duty in plain clothes i'm in the i'm in the shopping mall there's an active shooter i go to engage him um how does somebody in a uniform coming in behind me who sees me with my gun in my hand, how does that person identify me as a quote unquote good guy or as a police officer? And what I'd, I'd like to do is talk with you about 
a few body language cues and behaviors. And the really sad part is after I developed all this, um, the, the general guy card up in Maine, who was a trained shooter, he was a, a army reservist and had been professionally trained. Some of the behaviors, when you look at the pictures of him during the attacks, he committed, he, he looks like exactly what I'm getting ready to describe as a good guy with one minor exception. Um, and that's that he's, he's aggressing. He's actually hunting people. Uh-huh. So what I'm talking about, and tell me if this makes sense to you, is body posture. Like uh, if you look at pictures of active shooters commonly, um, they, they look almost lazy. They look lackadaisical. They don't look like they're on that mission. Um, their weapons are held sloppily. They're not up in their line of vision. They're not, uh, if you're looking at a video or, or watching movement, uh, we describe it being the tank turret, right? So everywhere your head turns, the gun turns, your, you know, the barrel and your eyes move together. Bad guys, I, in, in, in my experience, looking at those videos and seeing the photos, they don't do that. They, they, they scan with their head and then they bring to the gun to where they find a target. That's a different behavior than keeping the, the gun and the, and the sights together, the eyes and, and the gun together. Um, whether or not people take cover, like if I'm, if I'm going to go engage an active shooter, I'm moving towards a threat, but I'm not just rounding a corner blind. I'm going to slow down at that corner with my gun in a close hold position, and I'm going to be looking around the corner from behind cover. That's not an aggressive behavior. That's a defensive behavior. That's a good guy behavior, not a bad guy behavior. To my way of thought, uh-huh. um, you know, and then finally, uh, I'm looking for uh, the guy who's aware of a uniform presence who becomes immediately compliant, who um, is dropping the gun, who's got hands or a hand out, um, obviously looking for identifying types of, of items like badges, or uh, I know there's a company that makes sashes that say police on them. Um, what, what do you... Uh, I don't even know if you're armed, Joe. I don't know if you're legal to carry out. I, I, there's a lot. I, actually, it's really interesting that I don't know about you. But what do you think of my thought process? Does it make sense? Yeah, yes. And in fact, um, as you were talking there, uh, I was thinking, too, in terms of what the civilian he or she might do to signal to law enforcement in their body posture to make sure they are easily identified as the good guy. You know, basically what I'll call white hat behavior. Um, And, you know, what I wonder too, if this is something um, law enforcement uh, and just public safety um, organizations in general, developing kind of a, a, almost like a, a, a signal or a sign or something that um, uh, that can help um, a law enforcement easily identify these these people, um, especially in, in chaotic situations where there are multiple people um, uh, running around. And I think about that um, uh, that uh, active shooter situation uh, uh, from this year in in, in Texas at, at that open air mall where we you look at the body camera of the the officer who who eventually stopped the individual as well as um video footage uh, from the incident and you you see just people running everywhere through parking lots and 
and um, uh, throughout the, the that outdoor mall. Um, so yes, if there's a way to kind of maybe sort of um, codifying um, what you're talking about, the for civilians is like make sure your your um, your posture is this way, or or make sure this is how you address an officer, so the officer knows immediately. Okay, he's not he's not the guy who started this. So as we continue this conversation, I'd like to again thank our sponsor. FirstNet, powered by AT&T. In an emergency, you need a reliable way to communicate with the extended public safety community. FirstNet is the first and only nationwide communications platform built with and for first responders. When every second counts, first responders count on FirstNet. Uh, and find more at firstnet.com. So, Joe, you're, you know, you're talking about this codifying of behavior, so to speak. We've, we've tried to do that in law enforcement. And law enforcement is so vastly different coast to coast, state to state, region to region. Um, what I was taught in the Academy, I've discussed with other police officers at different uh, events that we go to around the country. And I've never met anybody who was taught the same thing that I was taught. Uh, some people have been taught to yell specific things. And obviously because criminals could listen to this podcast too, I don't want to give that away. Right. Um, but they've been taught that they could yell certain things to identify themselves. Or I was taught a specific behavior and body posture to identify myself. Uh, but it, we can't even codify it in law enforcement. And there's only 800,000 of us. How are we going to codify it for 80 million um, gun owners? Potentially, I, I guess it's about 40 million legally carrying citizens. Uh, I, it's, it's an awesome idea. I'd love to see it. But I don't know how we'd even begin to do that. And I had that conversation with um, Rob Pincus, executive director uh, or vice president. I can't remember his title. For, uh, forgive me, Rob. I can't forgive you your title. The Second Amendment organization and specifically representing legal citizens and what uh, legally armed citizens and what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And it really does boil down to uh, kind of communications between the community and law enforcement. So say in your hometown, my home county, my sheriff's department should be holding meetings. Um, or community events and saying, hey, if you're a legally armed citizen, you've got that gun permit, you're going to be carrying, come to this event. Let's exchange some information. Here's what we expect from you. Here's what you should expect from us. This is how we keep from hurting each other and, and we avoid misunderstandings because the chaos that you saw, absolutely real. Um, uh -huh. One of the best active shooter instructor classes I ever took was held at an actual middle school that had been built, but was not yet being used for classes. And they had the fire department come in. They had the students come in. We had smoke filling the hallways. We had students with the moulage, just all of the, the faked injuries. Um, we had people screaming. We had, you know, the alarms going off. It was just as we had students running out past us, right? It was just as, as chaotic as it could be, as realistic as we could get. Um, tremendous learning experience, but unless you've been in that, it's really hard to fathom just how chaotic it'll be. Um, and then the second challenge I want to talk about, we, we've got these uniformed officers who now for 20 plus years have been taught, hurry, 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 get there, get there, get there, move to the sound of shots, engage the shooter, neutralize the shooter, rush, 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 rush. And now here I am, bad guy that I am, uh, or ridiculous, whatever somebody out there thinks, um, saying, hey, slow down just enough to make sure the person you're shooting is a bad guy. I'm telling them, slow down. Um, look for the body posture. 
look for the gun up in the line of sight being held as if somebody's trained. Look for the person who's using cover and or concealment. Look for the person who's got other people behind him or her, and he appears to be protecting them. He's holding a position, not aggressing in a position. The, the active shooters are aggressors. They move and they hunt and they shoot, right? Uh-huh. The, the, the lone law enforcement respondent is doing the same thing, moving towards the sound of shots, hunting, aggressing, looking for the shooter to neutralize. The good guy that's protecting people may not be making that aggressive behavior. It may, it may be a defensive posture with gun in hand, uh, behind cover concealment, with people behind them. Um, and that's an ultimate tell. If, if you've got people behind you that you're protecting, you're obviously not hunting anybody. You are not a bad guy. I still don't want you standing there with a gun in your hand when I go by you to go hunt the bad guy. I still want your gun down holstered and I want you to get out. And if I can facilitate that, I will. Does that make sense, too? Yeah. And I I I think back to or I think two um, of these cases, um, I guess when the the chaos has subsided or there's the uncertainty the idea that we don't know where that individual is and in in places like malls and uh enclosed areas where you have police coming and roaming and maybe you do have an armed civilian also roaming um yeah i mean again you're 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 i liked how you were talking about going fast and it it really reminded me of um uh how um when when athletes are, are are told about you know trying to make quick plays or things like that it's about not rushing but it's about um being um uh deliberate and being you know just going your speed but making sure you're not making mistakes within it doesn't mean going slow but it doesn't mean like it doesn't mean that speed is the overarching thing it's it's being quick and decisive as opposed to just rushing and and trying to get an action done judicious intention oh there i like that i just sat here and thought that up judicious intention moving with all deliberate speed but only as fast as your judgment can maintain yes yes Mm -hmm. Um, and and i think that's 100 percent of where we need to go with that um it it, i I love what was the, the the movie shooter uh where mark Wahlberg's character he says slow is smooth and smooth is fast Um, yes if if you try to do things faster than you're capable of you will inevitably fail you will inevitably drop the ball so judicious intention you're going as fast as you can go based on your perceptions um it's still scary that you're still going to be pushing yourself to the limits right Uh you're still going to be look here's reality Sung Hee Cho of Virginia Tech averaged averaged one victim every seven seconds. Remembering that time frame, right? And I'm not talking about dead. We're talking about casualty. Shot could mean injured, could mean killed. One every seven seconds. Keeping that time frame in mind, do I want to slow down 15 seconds? No. That, that's two more people potentially, right? Do I want to slow down 10 seconds? Not if I can help it. That's one more person. But I, I don't know what's better or worse, moving so slow, one more person gets injured, or more, moving so fast, I kill the wrong person, or I shoot the wrong person. Um, 
I don't know it, which one of those would be easier to live with. I mean, and, and isn't that, um, boy, that sort of decision uh, is is constantly what law enforcement faces. Not, I mean, active shooter in almost any um, high tension situation of uh, of hit, having to hit that sweet spot of hitting that balance between, um, you know, going as fast as you can, but also being um, precise in what you're doing. Um, and and I, that's where I, I, I am, I am a, a huge, um, not just in law enforcement in other areas as well, but huge proponent of training just, and continually training, not just, okay, you know what, I've, I've learned this skill that, that I need for my job and that's it. I don't need to, I don't, I don't need to refresh it, you know, that much. That's just not the case. I, I, I think of it as, as athletes and I, I, I look at um, I look at uh, football players who who maybe not who miss like um, the preseason and they come out in the first couple games and they look they look like they haven't played in forever. Um, it, it's because it, you know they need that you need that practice you you need to remind your muscle memory uh, of what it needs to do and um, and, and I think sometimes we forget that it's just the idea of I've learned the thing. I'm good. We can go on. Uh, Let's go on to the next thing. I love that you say that because there's two perspectives here. Okay. One, uh, number one, shooting is, is a perishable skill, right? It's, it's Mm -hmm. like playing golf, no matter how much you do it, you're never going to be perfect. And if you fail to do it often enough, all of a sudden you can become very, very bad at it. Um, That's number one. And number two, the, 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 the judgment is what's really the driving motivator here. That's really the thing we got to train. And it's unfortunate as a guy who's been, I've been an instructor now for do the math in my head, 34 years. Okay. And and a firearms instructor for about 30 of those years. And uh, one of the things we used to joke about was that uh, when you deliver law enforcement training, you have to deliver it in such a way that the cop that learns it can do it 10 years from now without, without ever practicing it again. That's how simple you have to keep it. And it's, it's, a sad but very realistic thought. It is 100% not applicable to active shooter response, evolution, and training. Active shooter response is something police officers should be training every year at a minimum. The policies have to be kept up to date, and uh, the agencies need to make sure the officers understand the expectations and any policy changes that have occurred. Uh, a big, big challenge that that's uh, ongoing. Um. I want to. I want to thank you. Uh, we're we're kind of running out of time here. You have any final thoughts on this topic? No, I mean, I, I like I said, it, it, you know, you talked about what could we do to codify it. I, I, as we've been talking, I've been thinking. You know, I started out talking about uh, what was it? Uh, run, hide, fight, and how we've sort of made that um, a, a shorthand for how what people should think about. Um, in these situations so at least they they get in the right mindset and I, I i think back of like stop drop and roll with fires right and if there are ways in terms of that with when um in states where you you have concealed carry laws and in order to get those permits for that it, going through a training of if you are in an active shooter situation here's what you do and here's how you should interact with law enforcement you know maybe that's something to to, to look at and to um you know to c- consider uh, going forward 
So we need a catchphrase and we need federal government funding behind it to make it training coast to coast. Yes. That's our goal. All right. That's uh, I want to thank all of our listeners. Joe, I want to thank you for co-hosting this podcast. Um, we do have one left in the series. In number six, we're going to talk about equipment. We're going to talk about uh, what's the bare minimum to have and then uh, optimally what's awesome to have. Um, so, again, thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our sponsor, FirstNet, uh, powered by AT&T. Again, the first and only nationwide communications platform built with and for first responders. Uh, we greatly appreciate their sponsorship so we can bring you this information. I want everybody out there to try to stay safe and look for uh, our sixth and final episode in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.